Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Nick Patel with us. He is the Executive Director of Alliance for Physical Therapy Quality Innovations, also known as APTQI, and the National Director of Clinical Services and Regulatory Affairs for U.S. Physical Therapy. He was previously on the Texas Physical Therapy Association Government Affairs Committee. Nick, thanks for coming on. Uh, No problem, JT. Thanks, Nick. Um, We're excited to be able to talk to you, and I would love to be able, if you could introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background on yourself. Yeah, sure. So, you know, like you said, uh, I'm the executive director of APTQI, which is a uh, an alliance of outpatient uh, physical therapy companies that try to advocate for the profession. Uh, I have another job as well. I, I work for U.S. Physical Therapy, and I um, am uh, one of their national directors. Um, it's based here in Houston, is uh, where I live. Uh, for most of my career, I've been in the outpatient um, setting. I did have like uh, three years uh, with the MSS at, in, in the home health um, realm. But apart from that, uh, I've been a therapist for 21 years and 18 of them have been an outpatient. That's sort of, you know, my niche and, and where I like to be. And uh, for the for, for the most part, um, I've uh, transitioned from, you know, starting in my career as uh, 100% clinical and, 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 and being in the um, and being in the clinic and treating patients to over time, um, I'm still a therapist, but I actually don't treat anymore. I'm actually um, doing these other things. So, um, you know, kind of uh, run the whole gamut through my career. Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to dig into that a little bit deeper and see the whole from working clinical full time to now obviously still involved in, in the therapy world, but kind of in a, in a different setting. Um, and I'd love to kind of know, how did you get into PT? And could you explain that career path from the beginning of coming out as a clinician till now? Yeah, it's um, how I became a PT. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not really an inspirational story at all. I wish it was. I wish I could make up something that was really good. But um, honestly, I applied to PT school just for the heck of it. Um, there was no uh, burning desire to be a physical therapist since you know the time I was a kid or anything. It, it really wasn't anything like that. Um, I was in undergrad and I was a, you know, I, I, I was a junior about to be a senior. And um, I just remember walking into our counselor's office and she was saying, well, uh, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And then she kind of just gave me this list of different things. Uh, uh, different uh, grad schools to go to and physical therapy was one of them. And uh, there are a bunch of schools in Texas. There's only one I could apply to because uh, I wasn't going to be able to graduate um, uh, undergrad on time. And there was one school, it was called a three, three program. They actually took you, even if you didn't have a degree, but the rest of the schools in Texas said you had to have a degree. So uh, my counselor said, you know, why don't you apply? You probably won't get in it'll be really good practice for when you apply after you graduate, then you can apply to all, you know, six, seven schools in Texas. And so there's just one school I could apply to. She says, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get an interview. You're, you'll be fine there. Um, and then, you know, don't, it's just going to be great practice. So I just happened to apply to this one school in San Antonio um, 
because it was the only one I was able to apply to and did get waitlist. And they said, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And then no one will ever call you, but the pro- yeah, then no problem. But then someone actually did call me and said, Hey, there's a spot. Do you want it? And I actually, you know, I, I just said yes before. And then I hung up the phone. And I realized like, man, I just dropped out of school to go to PT school. Like, I don't know what, what I'm doing and I have to go move to San Antonio now. And it was just one of those things where uh, it never really was the plan. Um, but uh, when I got in, they give you like 10 seconds to make up your mind when you're on the wait list. It's all right. They're going to go to the next person. And I just said, yeah. So that's kind of how <laughs> that's kind of how I started. And then I figured the plan was if I didn't like it after a year, I would, I, I would leave. They'd give me a bachelor's then I'd have a bachelor's and I can go do something else. I had to, I had to have another year of school anyway. So go to school there. And worst case scenario, I have my bachelor's, go do something else. And I said, if I like it, I'll stay and, you know, and, and make it a career. So that's pretty, that's pretty much what happened. Wow. There we go. Yeah. No, I've never heard. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy just to, to change yeah. on a dime and just go all, all of a sudden right there. Wow. That's, that's cool though. But obviously you made the most of it and you, you've obviously enjoyed it and been so successful with it. And so yeah, I just kind of wanted to know, so you came out, like, once you started PT school, did you realize, okay, outpatient's kind of where I want to specialize in and really kind of focus? Um, and then from there, how did you continue to progress to where the current position is that you are now? Yeah, I mean, I was, when I was in school, um, like I said, I didn't really have a whole lot of exposure to PT beforehand, so um, my grades are actually better in Euro, so I thought, okay, that's, that's probably what I'm going to do. Um, but that ended up really just being because I took a lot of neuro classes in undergrad and the class is a little bit easier for me just because a lot of it I had already known and my, um, ortho classes, um, were a bit harder for me. But then when I went on my affils, I just genuinely liked the ortho, um, affil more. So, um, you know, that's sort of what from, in, for me changed my mind was actually going out on my affils. And, um, because I remember like the first week of my ortho affil, you know, I think I told my CA, like, yeah, I think I'm going to do neuro, you know, whatever, but you know, I'm here, like whatever, let's make the best of it. And by the end of it, I was thinking like, yeah, I think maybe I'll actually do this. So, um, you know, the, you know, always, uh, always wait to actually go out <laughs> before you change, before you make up your mind on what you want to do. Uh, the last thing you want to do is based on, you know, whatever test score you got in whatever class. Um, so then, uh, you know, my, you know, my, my goal was always, uh, not just to find a job, but to eventually work somewhere where I had opportunities to move up. So I purposely try to have a fills in larger companies and larger hospital systems. And so I thought that would help me in my career when I got out. And, um, you know, luckily it did. When I got out, the job market was terrible. It was really, really difficult. Um, there weren't not a lot of jobs um, for therapists. And so um, it was all about who you know and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, I, one of the job offers that I got was, um, at a company that I had done an affil at and, um, one of my, uh, classmates worked there or worked for part of the company. And she basically said, you know, Hey, I, you know, there's an opening here and give me your resume. And then they saw that I had done the fill there and that, um, or at another clinic for the same company and that, you know, my CI would write me a recommendation. So it helped me get in for sure. And then on my first interview, for that job, um, you know, they asked me that question, what do you see in your career or whatever? And I said, I'd really like to move up and I really like to do other things. Um, I didn't say, I, I don't necessarily have a business background, but I always had a business lean to myself. Like I always was curious about the business side of, of anything. Um, because one of my fallbacks was if I didn't like PD school, I'd take my bachelor's and try to get my MBA somewhere or something. So, uh, you know, that was, that was, that, you know, I just threw that out there from the beginning, um, at my first interview. 
And um, the good, it was a good thing I did because after I got that job, that that my first boss always looked out for me when there was opportunities to move up. She you know, was like, "Hey, do you want you know you want to try this? Do you want to go for this? You know, do you do you want this opportunity?" And I think a lot of that was just because I had expressed that to her from the beginning. So I started moving up, and then you know doing a little bit less patient care and doing more admin within about a year and a half or so. And then um, you know over time, because I was in a large company, I was able to continue to move up. Um, and then for, uh, you know, uh, for a while there, um, uh, physical therapy was just going through a lot of, of changes on, a, um, on the legislative side and on the, um, on the um, uh, state legislator side. So part of my job kind of ended up being, hey, can you go down to the Capitol and, you know, keep tabs on things and, and, and you know, uh, uh, take, take a more, um, you know, visible stance on some of these laws that are coming on these regs coming out, which meant you had to go learn all this stuff. But again, that kind of just played into some of the things I liked because uh, it was just a funny, again, just, it, you know, when I was in PD school, we all knew the job market was going to be terrible. And I, we used to have this kind of running joke that we were all just going to, you know, graduate from PT school and become truck drivers and, you know, do all these different things because none of us would be able to be PTs. And my thing was always, um, if I couldn't find a job, I was going to become a lobbyist for the AARP. And because, uh, old people love their therapists and uh, you know, and I would just say I'm a therapist and they would give me a job or whatever. And uh, you know, like I, I love West wing. So like uh, you know, that this is a great, it'll be a great job for me. And it, it's just funny, but that, that's kind of where it ends up. So that, you know, I didn't mind learning about the legislative process and didn't mind learning about um, how uh, you know, how some of these regulations and laws affect the um, you know, the profession because I kind of had its interest in it. And that took a life of its own and kind of, um, you know, led to a lot, a lot more opportunities um, down the road. So my, um, you know, for, for, from my, from my point of view, uh, it was the sort of melding of what I went to school for academically with some of these other um, tendencies and, and interests that I had, uh, like politics and, and like business. That, and I just was fine. I was able to find ways to meld them together. And that's what actually ended up forging my path to. APTQI and to USPH and um, to where I am today and hopefully you know where I'll go in the future. Yeah, that is I really like that because the whole the, at the beginning when you're talking about the affiliates clinical affiliates rotations, those I really like that comment because I feel it's so important for anyone like listening right now that's in physical therapy school. Like my first, so I've always thought I was going to be an outpatient ortho kind of sports. Um, and my first one was actually a, a sniff that I was at and I was like, okay, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't heard like sometimes the best things about sniffs and so I wasn't sure what to like think about it, but I went there and I loved it and I never would have realized that if I hadn't actually had that opportunity. So like to really find um, things that you're, you might not be interested in, but at least give them opportunity to check that out and really like keep your, yeah. your horizons open. I really liked that that you like mentioned that. Um, and yeah, as far as kind of the business and politics side, I kind of wanted to get into that. Um, so you previously were on the Texas Physical Therapy Association Government Affairs Committee. Um, what are some of the big things that you learned from that experience? Um, and what are some of the important things that all of us as physical therapists should be interested in and understand the value of advocacy and in kind of progressing a profession of physical therapy? Yeah, I mean, you know, those things are, um, you know, those local committees are always great to do. I mean, because I was on there, um, I, I learned how to write a bill, right? So, I mean, that was cool because, uh, you know, that's a, something you don't get to do every day as a therapist. So um, I was able to write bills. 
um, and uh, submit them to the leg uh, to legislative council for you know to become bills and uh, learn how to like testify at at a um, at a committee hearing. You know, and that, again, that's not something you really ever um, get to do. And obviously, anyone can do it, but there's an art to it as as well. And you kind of refine that. And so, um, you know, those are things that, that kind of stick out to me because those are things that actually move the needle. You know, I mean, writing letters to your um, elected officials is great, and in calling them is is great. But um, there's that nitty gritty in the in the legislative process. There's the negotiating with other stakeholders. There's actually writing the bills and, and then there's, you know, um, there's testifying and, and, and trying to get your point across and knowing you're about to get slammed by somebody who hates your bill, but trying to, you know, be ready to defend it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, those are great experiences and those are great things to learn. And those are great things to, um, uh, to go through because you, 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 in your head, you know, have, you have this great view of therapy and you know that therapy is great and you know that, uh, you love it and that everyone else should love it. And then you will come up against people who don't really share your view on it and who have completely different view on it. And, um, you know, it's a great way for you to say, well, okay, uh, I have to anticipate what someone else is going to say. I have to have a good um, retort for that. I have to learn how to, you know, find compromises for everybody. Um, you know, you have to write something that maybe is going to make some people hate you within your own profession, but it's what needs to happen in order to get you know, uh, another party to agree to support you or drop their opposition. So these are kinds of things that, um, you know, you don't really come up against really every day as a physical therapist, but as you get into government affairs and advocacy, you get exposed to a whole lot more. And it's one of those things that, you know, I think those skills translate into a lot of other things. I mean, learning how to, uh, you know, um, negotiate and write effectively and communicate effectively orally, you know, in front of people that are not going to agree with you. These are all things that, you know, you can, any, you know, any person can use in their lives. And um, I'd say that that kind of stuff, being able to do that early on in my career really helped me as well. Okay. I like, I like that a lot. And I, I kind of would ask the follow-up question on this. So for like a young clinician or a student physical therapist, what are some things that they can do now to kind of, if, they, if they're interested in this kind of, that realm of physical therapy that they can do now proactively to be prepared for that, to get engaged in that, what would you recommend? Yeah. I mean, one of the easiest ones, you know, um, is, uh, you know, it's, I wish I would have done it. I didn't do this as a student. I wish I would have, but, uh, you know, like every year, um, you know, APTA will host like a federal affairs forum, right. And they won't get to go to DC and you get to learn about the issues. And there's like a, you know, a six hour block that you go to the Hill and you, and you sort of meet with elected officials and their staff and advocate. It's a great way to see if you really like it or not. You know, it's a great way to say, is this something that I'm, you know, I, I have an interest? Is this something I would actually like to do more of? Because it's a really controlled environment. You know, you're, you have a great safety net. You're going with, you know, a couple hundred other PTs. You know, you're not alone or anything like that. So um, it's it's something that I've definitely, you know, tried to encourage. Um, so uh, in the past, like I, I'm in Texas and, and Texas historically has sent in more students to that forum than any other state. And I think number two is Arizona, actually. So uh, kudos to you guys. But um, yeah, so we, um, you know, we, and, and on some years we'll, we would have like 12, 13, like a dozen students um, coming in and, uh, you know, uh, all, all going to us, uh, with us to the Hill. And a lot of them don't come back and that's, you know, they, they did it. And it was a great trip to Washington, D.C. and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then you get some, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come back. So we've had some people who went to that forum all three years of PT school as students. Yeah, it's come back afterwards as graduates, you know, um, and 
you know, hopefully are just going to become lifelong, uh, you know, lifelong advocates. So that's definitely one avenue to go. Another avenue is, you know, when you're, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it sounds sort of stupid, but it's really not that hard because nobody else wants to do it. So uh, one of the things that's, that's really interesting is, you know, PTs are very used to like uh, when you're in school, everything's a competition, trying to get this residency spot. It's really hard. Everybody in your class wants that spot or, you know, there's going to be 13 applicants and you got to beat them just to get into PT school. You had, there's only 40 slots and there was 300 people out. And people tell you every day about how hard something is, right? The beautiful thing about, about advocacy is nobody else wants to do it. There is no competition. There is no one else you have to beat. There's no entrance exam you got to take. There's no bar. There's, there's no boards. There's nothing. You just kind of really, if you want to do it, just do it. No one's going to stand in your way. And that's, the, that's one of those things that's, that's probably um, one of the things I've learned in, in, in life is um, if you want to have like a really interesting career, just find all the stuff that people don't want to do and then do that. And you'll probably end up being able to create like a really nice niche for yourself. But uh, and advocacy is one of them. So, it, you know, a lot of it is if you volunteer for anything, there's going to be no one who's going to like be fighting you for it. So I think that's one of the things that's really interesting is, um, you know, I, and I've met great PTs my entire life and, and work with them and, and alongside them. And, what, you know, when I tell them, you know, I kind of do this and this and this, one of the most common responses I get is, wow, like, um, you know, I really don't pay attention to that stuff as much as I should, or, you know, I really wish I did that more. And I'm almost thinking like, it's really not that hard. Um, so if you want to get involved, you know, you, you know, starting as a student, you can go to the conferences, but, you know, you can go to your local chapters and, and get, you know, in, in involved on committees and such. But also, I mean, a lot of it's just, it seems too complicated. So people don't want to do it. Just read up. I mean, you have plenty of time. You read 18 journal articles a month as it is. Read up on the issues affecting uh, your profession or the profession you're going to have, you know, read what the regs say, read what the rules say. I mean, they're really not that hard to read when you consider all the other stuff we have to read. So um, that's kind of my advice there. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because yeah, I definitely, I know if our program has, has mentioned that and stressed the importance of advocacy and helping grow our profession through that way. But sometimes, yeah, I, at least for my, in my experience, I feel a little like, okay, I want, I want to help out. I want to help up for refresh and grow, but I don't know the best way to do it. So thank you for sharing those points right there. Um, and I, I now kind of want to like pivot and go to another portion of what you had mentioned um, early on in your intro. But I just kind of wanted to know a little bit about uh, APTQI and your responsibilities within the company and, and how you got, how you met with them and how you have, have worked in that company. Yeah. So uh, like I said, APTQI is actually just, it's another membership organization, except our members are outpatient providers um, and that's their niche. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have, we don't have to um, spread ourselves too thin, worrying about every single setting about therapy. It's, it's outpatient therapy that that's sort of our, um, you know, our, our focus. And um, because our members are actually the entities, you know, that the company's providing um, uh, therapy, we offer just a, you know, a different perspective on things, because we are um, the people that, that, you know, open the clinics and, and, and employ a lot of the um, and therapists and are, and are trying to, um, you know, make sure that we, that we get paid as, as well as possible. So we all came about in a central belief that, you know, Everyone talks about the cost of healthcare and how it keeps rising and how it's, you know, it's crushing a, a lot of people. Well, we believe the physical therapy represents pretty much the best value in healthcare. For what we get paid and what we do, it's, it's incredible, right? And we believe that um, at the legislative and regulatory and the payer policy levels, 
our value isn't adequately reflected. And we need to have someone or something go and um, push for that value to be appreciated and reflected in, in law and regulation and in payer policy, because we feel like we actually can be part of the solution when people complain about the cost of healthcare and about you know how we spend more in healthcare than any other country in the world and how come our results don't, don't match up. And it's not for lack of money, it's maybe how we place it or it's maybe on what we value when we spend the money. We don't feel like you know we're adequately valued um, in their eyes, and there's no one else who's going to do that except for us. Like you know, we're, we can't wait for the surgeons to come around and say, you know what, therapies are pretty good bang for the buck. That's not it's not their job. It's 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 not their thing. It's it's ours. So that that's sort of you know that's the premise upon which we were formed. And um, so I, I also work for U.S. Physical Therapy, which is a founding member of the alliance, and. Um, well, we, there was a time where uh, we needed to have an executive director for, um, for APTQI. And so we basically kind of came into agreement that I would just kind of have, uh, I'd work for both. So I split my time and um, I stay at USPH and, and I also help run the Alliance um, sort of as, at the same time. And, um, you know, uh, what I, at, at the Alliance, what we're constantly doing is advocating for the profession um, trying to, uh, you know, show the evidence for the efficacy of therapy and how it is low cost to high value. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you know, building influence, because that is one thing probably our profession lacks. Uh, we have great numbers, but our influence um, on certain things isn't commensurate with, with our numbers. And so, um, you know, that doesn't change unless, you know, groups actually make a a conscious decision to throw resources behind changing that narrative. And that's what we're trying to do. I love that. And I had a question on that kind of just further on. How can we continue to build influence? All of us that are, are early on in our careers, what are some things that we can do to build that influence of physical therapy? Because I think you're totally right. And I love the part that you said, like for the most bang for our buck, I think physical therapy is that is compared to all the other healthcare settings and things that are going on we definitely, for the amount that we get in return, I think we provide a great um, kind of return on investment almost for people mm -hmm. in healthcare. And so I was wondering, what are some things that we can do to build that influence? So like, you know, one of the things I think therapy does great is like we have great research on our efficacy, right? But then nobody knows about it. So if I asked any PT student to show me how effective physical therapy is on well, back pain and avoiding surgery or how great therapists are at diagnosing, you know, XYZ without, you know, costly imaging, blah, blah. I'm sure you could send me dozens of really strong, uh, you know, high evidence level um, uh, type of documentation that just shows our evidence. But then what do we do with it after that? I don't think we do much with it. So we great, we're great at compiling evidence, but we're not great at communicating that. And that's where the influence comes in because having the evidence is, is, is sort of just half the battle. You don't get influence unless you communicate that to the people in power to say, you should craft your policy around this fact that we can avoid surgeries, around this fact that we can avoid falls, around this fact that we can keep people off opioids, right? And that, that's a communication problem. So some of the things that we're trying to do is communicate our strengths better um, than we have in the past. And that in itself will, will generate the influence. Um, it, it, but at the end of the day, it takes a lot of resources too, to do that. And, and so again, that's maybe where therapy, you know, has, has come up a little bit short in the past. 
it, it requires, you know, putting in, you know, uh, putting in dollars, putting in man hours, you know, putting in the effort. And uh, that's definitely what the Alliance is doing right now. I mean, you know, we, we, all of our members put, you know, put aside resources, we share resources, we share monetary resources, we pull money together, we get professional representation, um, you know, on the Hill and we have, you know, we have a PR firm on retainer as well. So these are all the things that you do to generate influence because you, um, uh, you only really get to the level of influence if everybody already knows um, your truths. But we, you know, we great at, we're great at uncovering the data, but we're not really great at communicating it out. And then what you'll find is you'll, you'll start to um, work together a little bit better, and then you'll start to craft the next study designs that will, add, that, that will be a little bit more to the point. So one of the things that we did um, was, uh, you know, uh, was we create, you know, we did some data research ourselves. And, and um, like one of the things I wanted to show was, uh, you know, like, for example, someone has a diagnosis of low back pain and they're referred to um, physical therapy and they're a Medicare beneficiary. Like if they came in one time for therapy and then never came in again, and let's follow all the downstream part A and B costs for that patient, for that diagnosis. If they came in twice and never came in again, how much does the downstream cost, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because my bet was that more therapy would actually equal to less cost downstream and less therapy would equal more costs downstream. And of course, that's what it ended up coming out at. And so that way um, that, you know, and we've circulated that quite a bit, but that's something where for us, we're showing, you know, our value in a way that helps generate influence better. Because if you're talking to someone whose job it is to uh, cap Medicare expenditures and save, you know, Medicare money and to, uh, um, and to really shape um, access policies toward the most effective, you know, cost-effective treatments, um, Maybe they don't need to look at like all these papers that show X, Y, Z. You just need to show them this, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so then what we're also doing is trying to shape some of the studies to match what we know the influencers need. Okay. No, that is good. What well, on that last one that you mentioned, where can we find out more about that? Like, that was really interesting. I want to read more about that. Can yeah. Um, we have our, most of our papers are on aptqi.com. So our website, okay. you know, we um, keep them posted there. And a lot of that stuff we don't have behind the firewall. A lot of, uh, a lot of our most important things we just make available to everybody, whether you're a member or not. So um, there won't be a firewall for any of that stuff. Yeah. Perfect. No, thank you. Because I, I speaking about this, I'm like, man, I really like want to help like our profession grow and progress. I'm like, okay, what? How can I learn these things? And no, thank you for sharing that. Um, and then also, I wanted to know. We talked about APQI and the APTQI, um, and then also use physical therapy. What is your role within that company? Is it kind of similar, or how does that differ in that sense? It's, I mean, it's, it's sort of similar, but my, um, at U.S. Physical Therapy, I'm a national director. And so I basically, um, uh, I help the company with, uh, their regulatory affairs, um, um, and, uh, communicating what's going on with the government, um, for the company, but also, uh, we have a clinical service department, which support our clinicians in the field with whatever issues come up, um, as they do it, whether it's training, um, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, adapting to, uh, latest clinical practice. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, documentation and, and, and uh, payer issues. So I'm part of that larger team as well. And, um, you know, we have uh, almost 600 clinics, uh, 580 or something nationwide. So there's, a, there's definitely a lot of uh, issues that come up from, from day to day and uh, a lot of trainings to go on. And, and that, that, that kind of goes back to another thing, you know, I was talking about people 
find what people don't like to do. I found early on, and you know, I, I know this from just growing up that everybody that I met would hate public speaking, right? They just absolutely cannot stand public speaking. Um, and in PT school, and I didn't like it very much in high school, but in PT school, I found out like it really wasn't that bad or, or, or whatever. And so um, a lot of the things that I do at USPH um, stem from the fact that I'm actually, I don't mind public speaking. And, and if you're someone who can do that, and I, you know, I used to teach a lot of CEUs and, and, and things like that. Um, so being in front of a crowd doesn't really bother me that much. Um, and again, that just opens up a lot of doors. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for ways to sort of broaden out your career, again, that's one of those things I, you know, I always tell people is, uh, you know, um, if you can public, if you can speak in public without having it ruin your entire week, uh, you're already a little bit, uh, you know, at an advantage over other people to get opportunities to come your way. And so, um, when you're in clinical services and you have to be training in a lot and you have to be, uh, uh, speaking to therapists a lot, you have that ability. It really makes your job a whole lot easier. Yeah, no, but I think I think public public speaking and just like speaking skills in general are so important in our profession because we're constantly talking to people, explaining things to people. Uh, like I was finding, I found something the other day. And I was the importance of education. If the per, if the patient isn't able to easily explain why we're doing those things we're not being, we're not educating properly and we're not, you know, like speaking to them properly in a way that they can understand it and then apply it to themselves. So yeah, I think we should always be working on our skills of, of public speaking, but just in general, educating our patients and everybody. Um, thank you for that. And I just, yeah, I wanted to know along your career, like throughout your career, what are some of the important uh, lessons that you've learned or things that maybe a mentor has taught you that you've really valued and you like wish you'd like learn that sooner to be able to apply that. And you felt like that would have been such a key stepping stone in your career to help you out. Um, you, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it's probably one of the harder things for any, and I think it applies to any profession, but, um, you, you kind of have to learn that, uh, in order for you sometimes to grow or in order for you sometimes to get what you think you want, um, you have to actually go through some, you know, period of being uncomfortable. And I think it's human nature to avoid uncomfortable things and, and gravitate toward what's comfortable. Um, but I really have, I, I, I very rarely seen people who have a, a ton of success in life who did it by always staying where they were comfortable or doing, doing what was comfortable. So, you have to be willing, you know, you know, call it whatever you want, push your brown boundaries. Um, you know, um, you can, it can be whatever, but at the end of the day, for me personally, um, there was, there was always times in my career where I had a choice between I could do this and, you know, um, be perfectly fine. I could do this and, you know, it might be uncomfortable, but it could lead to something down the road. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did. Um, but I can also say that I didn't always choose the, the uncomfortable route and I probably missed out on some stuff as well. So, um, you know, you, you want stability and, and you want, you know, you, you want comfort and, and you want all those things. And I think that's great. But, you know, the earlier on in your career that you don't um, confine yourself to that, I think you're going to be better off in the long run. Sometimes it won't work out, but don't let it disturb, you know, discourage you. And then the other thing is, don't be afraid just to tell people, you know, uh, what, what it is you want to do. I, I, I know a lot of people who feel like a lot of shame, you know, one year into clinical practice or whatever. And they're like, you know, I kind of find my job boring. Like, you know, I, I spent four years, seven years in college 
to get to this point. And now after a year, like, um, I'm wondering, like, do I want to do, do I want to have the day I just had every day for the next 50 years or 40 years? And that's okay. Um, to feel that way. And it is kind of daunting. And, um, uh, that's when you have to sort of start figuring out what else are the things you like. You don't have to abandon therapy, but you have to just find out other things that you like to do. You know, um, you know, for me, it's public speaking and, you know, and, and, and the business side and, and advocacy, but for other people, it's, you know, it could be whatever um, they have uh, that, that, that is part of their personality and bring it into your practice. I mean, I always tell people, you know, I've, um, you know, I, I, I taught, um, you know, I treated, um, I've had, you know, management positions. Um, I've been an advocate and a lobbyist. Um, I've had an HR position, you know, um, with the, with a company where I actually technically was in the HR department. And so I, I've done all these things. Um, but I'm not terribly, um, I don't have a terribly varied academic background. I have three degrees, two of them are in physical therapy. So I, I didn't exactly go to school for a lot of things. So on paper, I only went to school for one thing. I was able to do a lot of things because I was willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I vocalized to people early on, like, Hey, this is kind of stuff I like to do. Um, and was lucky enough to be around people that, you know, actually helped me with it. Um, and, uh, I think, I think, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with, with, with a young new grad who's coming out of school saying, you know, after, a, after a few months or a few years saying, yeah, I think I need to do something else. Embrace that and, and try to find something else. Yeah, those are great words of wisdom. I honestly really, really like both those things because the whole thing about like getting out of that comfort zone, like there's this quote that I, I, I learned when I was younger and I've always tried to apply it is that there's no comfort in a growth zone and there's no growth in a comfort zone. And so just constantly trying to, to get out of that comfort zone and that's where like the true growth is going to happen. And I felt like that in, in anything, like I, me, like when I initially tried to like make this podcast, I was kind of uncomfortable about it. Like I, I, I've never tried to do a podcast. I've not my communication skills I think are okay but they're not like great so I don't want to be stumbling upon my words which I do at times but it's okay like, I'm still learning and progressing but then the aspect that you mentioned too on like speaking and vocalizing things that you're interested in and those things that you want to do in the future I feel like that was such a key role I, from everything that you've shared so far in your story to help you progress you, you mentioned that early on in that initial interview and then you were surrounded by great leaders that wanted to help you progress and they were trying to find those ways and do that I, like me just speaking like it's so funny like the ways that i've found people through my for the podcast have been just talking and like mentioning hey i'm doing this thing and it's sometimes been with physical therapists sometimes it's been at my like i do a security job and it's like on the weekend just to kind of earn some extra money here and there and then i was talking to somebody about i'm in physical therapy and then they mentioned that their brother-in-law is a physical therapist at this program and he's like working like as kind of in faculty and like i never would have been able to made that connection if I hadn't just talked about it and kind of expressed what's going on in my life to honestly someone that I'd like barely met. Um, so I love that. I think both those things are, are skills that we can apply in anything that are going to be so, if we apply them, we'll be so successful with them. So thank you for sharing both of those. Yeah, no problem. And yeah, just before we wrap up and everything, I, if someone is interested in talking with you and, and we mentioned about advocacy, I feel that's something that a lot of us in PT school and young grads, we have that desire because we know it's important, but we don't know exactly. If we want to continue to talking with you and, and figure out the best way to contact you, what would be that way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 
I, my email address is N-P-A-T-E-L at A-P-T-Q-I.com. It's like, that's the easiest way. I mean, there's, there's no, um, uh, uh, I, I put this um, nicely. There's, there's no delusion to my account of people saying, hey, we really, really want to help. So that'd be great if there's people who really want to, it's fine. Again, you know, it, uh, PTs are just hardwired to always thinking that everything's a huge competition, but, but trust me, when it comes to advocacy, we need all the help we can get and, and not really a lot of people are, are, are doing it. So, um, you know, we welcome anybody who, who, who wants to sort of uh, pitch in and, and help because it's definitely needed, but it, 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 it definitely helps and it definitely works. I mean, look at all, look at an example of all the other professions who do quite well um, because of their influence and because they built up. It does take time and it does take resources, but um, you know, that was, that's one thing that APT tries to try to do is say that we're not just going to be a flash in the pan. We're here, we're organized and we get stronger every day and we're adding, you know, members all the time. And we are, we're not, you know, you know, we're not going to give up the fight anytime soon, basically. Yeah. No, like, I feel like it's something that if we do it and we're, if we become successful at it, it will really just springboard us into, into future success. And I feel like that's something that we're, we're still lacking in physical therapy like the general population and also like from what you're saying kind of people like above in leadership they can recognize it but sometimes they don't always see the like how much value it can be and so i think as we continue to progress that and push that those big changes can occur but yeah, yeah um nick thank you so much for coming on are there any other things or um advice that you'd like to share with us before hopping finishing this podcast um you know like i said if you want to um if you want to read up more and, and be involved and, and, and you know a little education never hurts before you want to before you get involved so aptqi.com is our web um our website with a, a, a lot of materials on there on what we've done in the past and what we support and and so just some of the data that we've been able to um, compile um our, our twitter handle alliance um ptqi is probably a great way just to, you know, if you follow it, it we can, um, you know, you, you can kind of follow us real time on, on issues that, that we're doing. We have a Facebook page as well. Um, so if you want to just start reading up on things, those are great places to go because you can kind of um, familiarize yourself with the issues and with some of the, um, uh, you know, uh, positions that we're trying to take, but also the background on why things are the way they are and what we're trying to change and things like that. Because I think when people get, better educated they're just much more apt to want to actually take uh take action i think they a little bit nervous to take action because they feel like they don't really know what's going on but once you kind of remove that obstacle then all of a sudden you get a little more comfortable trying to go for it i agree 100 yeah that's that is great um but yeah nick thank you so much for coming on i hope everyone no yeah i hope everyone enjoyed this podcast it was great i learned a lot right here and i'm excited for everyone else to be able to learn this as well have a good one thanks man Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.